following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. Well, it's got to come straight back up uh, because uh, you've got a reading uh, for us, which uh, I think is Acts chapter 20. Um, so uh, let me hand over to you to tell us where it is. Yeah, uh, we're in Acts chapter 20. It's page 1117. Acts chapter 20 from verse 17. Uh, so... Paul has arrived at a place called Miletus. So from verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed, and they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Thank you, Val. That was brilliant. Uh, evening. Very good. Uh, good to see you all. There's a few handouts coming around, and on the handout is a discussion question at the bottom. Uh, the first question, uh, let's just chat about it in, in twos or threes as we start. 
Uh, it, I think it was who first told you uh, about Christianity, about the gospel. But obviously, that's for people who have heard the gospel, Christians, that kind of thing, uh, people who are Christians here tonight. It could be that you want to talk about someone who you just look up to, who's been really impactful in your life. Um, why don't you just turn to your neighbor, chat to them about that for a couple of minutes. Um, who's that person? Why don't you turn and chat? Brilliant. Why don't we come back together? I would, I would love, in lots of ways, to just go around and hear everyone's stories, but... There's lots of you, no time to do that. So instead, I'm just going to talk about myself and tell you all about mine. Um, when I was growing up, uh, when I was a wee pup between the ages of, sort of 11 and 14, in the church I grew up in, Andover Baptist Church down in the south, there was a few people who ran a Sunday youth group in the morning. And there was one guy who really made a big impression on me in lots of ways. Um, he, he, wasn't a kind of, he wasn't a full-time pastor, anything like that. He was a volunteer in the youth group. Um, and neither was he a particular scholar or anything like that. I think he uh, wouldn't say that. He was a good footballer. Um, an all-round good lad, and uh, he came every week uh, to youth group and just sat and read the Bible with us. And it just made such an impression that he was there every week and seemed to really care about us. And I still remember some of the things he taught us. And I wonder if, when I chat to him next, he might remember those things. And probably he wouldn't, but actually he made a big impression on me. Uh, which shows a couple of things. First of all, it, it shows how valuable it is to have decent, committed, and godly youth workers, which we do have at St. Michael's. We should give thanks for all the volunteers who come every week. But secondly, and I think this is the point I want to get to, is that people who make a big impact in our lives, we can feel great feelings of affection for them. We can remember them for a long, long time. We can be very grateful for them. And I think that's what's going on in this story. Paul, and we might have a map on screen, Paul has been traveling from Europe through Turkey, down the Middle East to Jerusalem. He's determined to get to Jerusalem. He spent a long time previously, earlier on in this book called Acts, speaking in Ephesus and teaching, which is a city in modern-day Turkey. And he wants to get to Jerusalem, so he travels near Ephesus to a place called Miletus. I don't actually know how you say it. And he calls out the guys who are the pastors, they're called elders of the Ephesian church, and he gives them this sermon from these verses we read today. Last week, we did half of these verses. Today, we're doing the other half. Last week, Paul looked back on his ministry among them, the work that he did as a minister. He spent two years with them, did all kinds of preaching and teaching. He looked back on that. We thought about the character of that time. This week, he's looking forward and saying what's going to happen in the future. It's going to be helpful for all of us because if we've all been to a church, we know a pastor. But it's also, it's especially applied to those who are pastors. It'd be helpful for us all to hear, and there'll be stuff that the Lord has to say to all of us. Why don't I pray for us, as just before we dig into this passage. Father God, we, I love that verse in verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. Lord, we commit ourselves to you now and to the word of your grace and ask that you would build us up and give us an inheritance. Amen. Amen. A couple of points this evening. The first one is this. Paul is going to die. Paul is going to die. That might feel quite sudden. I mean, straight away. But listen to what he says. Look down with me. If you've got your Bibles open from verse 22, it says this. And now, compelled by the Spirit... I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. 
But he has some idea. Listen to this. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Verse 25, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Is he just being overly dramatic? Is this sort of like a physical manifestation, like a kind of a version of man flu, where it's just like, this is going to be the what You'll never see me again. You'll never see me again. Well, I don't think so, because Paul is not one to get a little bit over dramatic. If you read the first bits of the book of Acts, you'll see that basically everywhere he goes, he suffers. People turn against him. Mobs are formed. His life is threatened. He has to escape several times. He gets stoned, imprisoned, shipwrecks. He has a really, really rough time. And he knows that that always happens. He also knows it's going to happen. And if you carry on reading through the book of Acts, there's this whirlwind of activity where Paul reaches the whole world and sort of talks to so many people about the good news of Jesus. And the moment he gets to Jerusalem, it all slightly slows down. And he gets, dare I say, almost frustratingly unproductive as he gets transferred from prison to prison. There's kind of bureaucratic mess. There's sort of overcomplicated systems. There's corruption. And in the end, he gets transported, spending years not being able to speak to anybody, to Rome, to the center of the Roman Empire. And the book of Acts finishes with Paul in house arrest, being able to welcome people and speak to them about Jesus, but no longer able to go out, plant churches, travel the world, get out there. Now, that's how the book of Acts finishes. Uh, Lots of people sort of maintain that Luke, who wrote Luke in the New Testament, and then wrote the book of Acts, that they're kind of volume one and volume two of the same work. And the reason Acts is maybe a bit open-ended at the end is because there's a strong chance people think that Luke intended to write a volume three. Oh, that'd be good, wouldn't it? When's the sequel going to drop? Well, uh, unlikely to. For whatever reason, the Lord has decided that two is enough. And actually, the open-endedness, it seems, can, can be read deliberately, that the word of God, though Paul is chained, is not chained. But it is the end of Paul. History tells us that he died in Rome. There's a chance he was released for a time, went else, but ended up back there and was executed for what he was doing. Verse 25, ultimately, is true. Now, I know that none of you, among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. That must have been devastating. For lots of reasons. Think about that person you look up to. It's very sad to think that they won't be around forever, especially if it's someone that you know now. Not just that, Paul's a friend of theirs, spent years with these guys. But more than that, actually, in, in the Bible, when the New Testament times were happening, Jesus chose 12 disciples and Paul and sent them around the world and said, you need to tell the good news all about what I've done, my life, death, and resurrection to the world. There's a sense in which when the apostles, of which Paul is one, were teaching, it's like the very words of God. They didn't have the New Testament. It hadn't been written by the apostles yet. They had the Old Testament. There was a sense in which if Paul was to die, does that mean that Christianity would die? Would this survive? They kind of depended on Paul. They needed him. 
And it's worth just pausing at that moment and saying something very, very obvious. And that is that human leaders are human. There's something beautiful about the good news of Christianity that though it's kind of a written message, it always comes wrapped up with people. Because God is a relational God. He wants to love you and know you. So he sends us people to talk to us about Jesus. But if we ever have our Christian faith relying just on one human teacher or person, then it will die when they do. Without being kind of you know, too dramatic, because many of our staff seem quite young, but let's face it, might get jobs elsewhere and move on. One day they will retire. It's weird to think of that in some ways, isn't it? I often think of this church and I think of the people who fill it and I love it, but human leaders aren't around forever. One of the gifts, actually, of the last few months. I don't know if you heard, but a famous Christian in the States, a guy called Tim Keller, who administered in New York. Huge influence around the world. He passed away recently. And it was a really sad time. He's impacted us here as a church, uh, not least because he's been involved a little bit in commission, of which we're a part, but also because I think it's fair to say that our pastor, Ed, has read thousands and thousands of pages of Tim Keller. Is that fair? Tim Keller was a man, uh, bold man with glasses, very tall. In lots of ways, Tim has edited models, lots of things after Tim Keller. But we're hugely grateful for his ministry. He was a brilliant pastor. But actually, we can look at his life and say, thank you that he ran his race to the end. This is a tribute that uh, another American Christian, a guy called Kevin DeYoung, wrote about Tim Keller. It was a short extract. He said this, Tim kept the main thing the main thing. He wasn't a jerk. He wasn't a prima donna. He was enjoyable to be around. Most importantly, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for people like Paul, people like Tim Keller, who just run their race and then finish it. I consider my life worth nothing, he says. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. One thing that's going to happen, Paul will die. The second thing that's going to happen is even more sobering, I think, and that's this, that wolves will arise. Look at verse 29, sentence number 29 on the page. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Paul's giving this illustration of the Christian church. and He's saying it's like a sheep pen. And sheep need looking after. Being called a sheep, Christians, is not a flattering thing. I know we're all city dwellers, so we've never really seen a sheep. But basically, uh, they're idiots. They sort of wander around all over the place. They get lost all the time. They're always getting their head stuck in sort of fences or uh, wandering places they shouldn't be. They need penning in, looking after. The worst possible thing, given how vulnerable sheep are, is when a wolf gets into the pen and sheep can't go anywhere and it can just destroy at will. A bit like foxes on farms, the reason why foxes are not loved on farms is that foxes will not just kill chickens for food, but they will do it for fun, so they'll keep going and just kill and kill and kill and then just eat one and go away. That's the illustration that Paul is coming up with. Among your number, men will arise who are like wolves. Wolves are terrible for the sheep. Now you might say, that is harsh. 
it's harsh to say that anyone would be that destructive to the church, that wolves will arise. So what are the marks of these wolves? Well, there are two things. First of all, it says, uh, if we look at verse 30, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. That's number one. And two, they will draw away disciples after them. So they will distort the truth. We, we learned last week that the stuff about Jesus really matters. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a death on the cross so that all the sins of the world could be put on him. He rose again from the dead to bestow the forgiveness and eternal life on all people who would come to him. Without Jesus, there is no hope in the world in the face of sin, death, eternity. With Jesus, there is hope and joy. The stuff of Jesus really, really matters. And here come these wolves, and they just change the details. They just change the content. Oh, don't worry about trusting only in Jesus' death. It's, it's more about the good things that you do to impress God. Oh, don't worry, if you do these particular rites and ceremonies, then you don't need to worry about trusting in Jesus too much. It's, it's those things that are the most important thing. You give a certain money, you do a certain thing, that's how it is. Don't worry, all people are great at heart. You don't need to be saved by Jesus. To do that is a terrible thing because of the consequences. There's a content to what we're doing. But secondly, there's an intent to. What does it say in the second half of that verse? Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. From among your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples away after them. The mark of a true pastor is their ministry is about Jesus, and not about themselves. The mark of a wolf is it's all about them. It's all about their prestige. It's all about how many people love them. It's all about their own glory or their own pocket. It is bad news when a pastor has a private jet. It's bad news when a pastor can't upset anybody because they want everybody to love them. It's bad news when a pastor will only take certain speaking gigs because they want to impress as many people as possible, be as widely published as possible, when basically it is all about them. There's an intent and there's a content. It's a big thing to be called a wolf. You don't say it lightly to anybody. Which is why Paul says there's these two aspects to it. And it is a terrible thing. And here's the really sobering detail in all this. Did you notice it in that verse 30? Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Paul has stood with all his friends. He says, even from among your own number, these Ephesian Christians I love. Reminds me a little bit of another scene. Just before the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was stood with his 12 disciples. And he turned to them all and said, I love you, I'm going to die for you. One of you is going to betray me. One of you who's sharing your food with me. One of them who spent three years learning from Jesus, the best ministry they ever could, face to face with the gospel themselves, will still turn their back and hate Jesus and betray him for money. And Paul's kind of saying like that. What happened afterwards? 
Well, some did do that. In the morning, we've been looking at a book of the Bible called 2 Timothy. It's a letter that Paul wrote when he's on death row in Rome, right at the end of his ministry. And there's one particular sentence, which is quite chilling. Right at the end, he says, everybody in Asia Minor has deserted me. Everybody in Asia Minor has deserted me. Now, I don't know how many years, I don't know what happened between this and that. It's obviously in some ways hyperbole, but he's saying of all the Christians in this country of Turkey around Ephesus, all deserted me. Sobering thing. That part of the world, Turkey, that we saw, did become the epicenter of Christianity for hundreds of years. Wonderful pastors, teachers, churches, and Christians. Fearless Christians came out of there but also wolves. One, to choose one, would be a guy called Eusebius of Nicomedia. I picked that one because I like saying his name, but also because he was someone who made it all about himself. He became rich and influential. He had a church in Nicomedia right by the kind of center of government. He became very influential and put all of his friends in high places. And the Orthodox Christians, the people of the day who taught that Jesus is completely God and completely human. He's both, and that's so important for the good news. He opposed them, and he exiled them, and he suppressed them, and he hated them. That's from their own number. Worth saying that these days, I don't think there is a functioning church in Ephesus. And Turkey is one of the least churched places in the world. When he says from your, among your own number, he is talking to them. But I think it is also a word for us. It's just a sobering word. I think we'd be naive to think that there wouldn't be from within the Church of England, where we are, wolves coming. One day, maybe today, from among our own number, that within commission even, the church planting network we're a part of, from within our church, our staff team. I, I have no suspicions worth saying that from the off. But we'd be naive to think that it could never happen. It's a question we need to keep asking. Paul will die. Wolves will come. So what's his solution? Verse 28. Be shepherds, he says to them. Verse 38. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. If the church is like a sheep pen, it needs shepherds. That's really helpful, thinking about what the job of a shepherd is, primarily to care for the sheep and to feed the sheep. And it's worth saying that in Christian ministry, the two things are exactly the same. If wolves are coming, pastors are not people who kind of just spend all day in the gym and they can beat up the wolves. No, no, it just... It's the same way as you feed the sheep. You're teaching people about Jesus from the Bible. We do it over and over again. We do it all the time. It's the thing that keeps the sheep fed. It's the thing that keeps the sheep safe. It's to teach true things about Jesus. But I think the word shepherd also teaches something of the manner of Christian ministry. Namely, you lead by example. You lead from the front. You're gentle. You're kind. Give the sheep knowledge. It's humble. Christian ministry should be like shepherding. Shepherding in the ancient world it wasn't a job of great prestige. You didn't do it to make a name. 
do it to love Jesus and feed his sheep. There's a sense in which all of us, if we're Christians, are like shepherds. We're called to pastor one another, to point one another to Jesus, to help one another. I think it's a thing we do very well at St. Michael's. I love being part of this church. But it's also a special office. It's something for church leaders. Not everyone will be a full-time member of staff. Not everyone will be a pastor or an elder. And at this moment, he's saying to the elders especially, you need to be shepherds. The cavalry is not coming. There is no horde of missionaries over the hill who are about to come and do all this work. You are plan A. There isn't really a plan B. The wolves are coming. I'm going to die. So do the work of being a shepherd. Now you read all that and think, gosh, stakes are high. Why on earth did anyone do that? But they all just say, cool, I quit. Well, Paul, wonderfully, has enormous confidence in Jesus. And that's what he says in the last point. He says, you are not alone. You're not alone. Verse 32 to verse 35. And I commit you, he says, to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified, I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know how these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says, I commit you to God. After all, the Bible tells us that the Lord is a good shepherd. He will look after his church. He does it often by giving pastors, but he could not be more committed to his church. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And though in the UK we're seeing, I guess, a period of time where it feels like, in Christian terms, the tide is going out, the tide has come back in again, and we can be supremely confident that on this planet, God has not given up on his church. He is the good shepherd. And, coming back to verse 28, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. If you want to see how committed God is to his church, see that his son came to live amongst us, died, took the wrath of God on his shoulders, spilled his own blood, and then rose again from the dead. He could not be more committed to his church. And so he's given us an amazing resource. The word of his grace, it says in verse 32, which basically means this book. This book, which is freely available all around the world through the internet and the printing press, which in loads of ways is just pen and paper but in other ways, is a living idea whose time has come, that is conquering the world, that is living and active, can pierce to our very heart and transform us from the inside out and make us, as that word at the end of verse 32 says, sanctified. That's a word that means holy, 
And you can be like me, you can be a complete and utter plonker, and still, because of God's grace and his Bible, be transformed to be made increasingly holy and good. This book is dynamite. And it has everything we need to see this church revitalized in this country, to see the gospel go all around the world, to turn the world upside down. He has not left us empty-handed, and he has not left us alone. This is the stuff that gets Paul up in the morning. This is what gets him going. Not money, not really interested in that. He wants to give his life to this, because it's better to give than it is to receive. Paul will die, walls will come, be shepherds. You're not alone. So what? You might think. So what? That I'm not an Ephesian elder. Perhaps neither are you. Some 2,000 years ago. How do we apply this to us today? Well, I, I think in so many ways, last week we were talking a little bit about how this might apply to every Christian. And that's true. There's, there's real lessons for all of us. God is utterly committed to you, for whom he shed his blood. But I think it's worth applying it a little bit, thinking about pastors. As we think about our elders here, and in other churches we've been a part of, I think we want to thank God where they have been godly men and women who have loved God, loved his gospel, and fed the sheep. Thank God for them. And that's the standard to which we want to hold them. They're not pretending to be perfect, but that's what they want to be doing. But as a close, I think I want to apply it uh, very, very specifically. And that's that word in verse 28. Now, this won't apply to everybody. But to some, I think God would say, be shepherds. Not everyone is called to be a full-time pastor. But I think every Christian is called to ask this question. What is the best way that I, with my gifts and talents and my character, can serve God for the utmost of his glory? Now, for many of us, the answer will be the job we're in glorifies God. We're able to do so much and get involved in church, and that is a brilliant thing. We're a church family. But for some of us, the answer might be to start kind of perhaps volunteering in church, being in full-time ministry, considering that as a career. There are lots of good reasons not to do that. It's definitely not something that everyone needs to do or should do. But if the answer is my life is really comfortable and I don't can't really bother to do it. Seems like hard work. And I suggest that's not a good reason. Because some of us should do it. We at church run a thing called a church apprenticeship, which is just an opportunity to get a taste of Christian ministry. Perhaps that's something you might be interested in doing. And if so, talk to Ed at the end. But for all of us, it is true that God is utterly committed to you and to us. And the word of his grace builds us up and gives an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Hallelujah. One night back. Father God, we thank you and praise you that you could not be more committed to your church. It feels so ordinary, some of the things that you give to us, pastors, who are very human. 
a Bible which is sometimes tricky to understand. God, help us to have great confidence in you, just like Paul did. And we pray for this church and for others that you might continue to raise up leaders and ministers and Christians for the future, for the good of this country and for the glory of God. Amen. 